conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. Today I am joined by Mike Henneberger, and we are discussing his new book, which is also his first book. It is called Rock Bottom at the Renaissance, an emo kid's journey through falling in and out of love in and with New York City. It's not a long title at all, Mike. <laughs> you know, I um, always, I started like giving a disclaimer um, because that title I feel is very cheesy, but it was like, I did so much research on self-publishing before I put this out. And like one of the, I mean, it's not really a hack, but it's like referred to as that is to make a subtitle for your book so you can like use SEO. And so when people are searching certain things, like if you searched Amazon for a book about the Renaissance, like, or like the word Renaissance, (laughs) you're going to get my book. You're going to get a bunch of books about the Renaissance period. And so I threw in emo in there. I threw in New York city. I threw in love falling in love or yeah. So the it's, it's for SEO purposes, but then someone pointed out to me that it's like very reminiscent of like early two thousands emo songs that did have those ridiculously long titles. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe I should just pretend that's what I was going for. It's obviously a fallout boy song. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I actually, I gave that same disclaimer to Chris Carabo when I was telling him about the book. Um, cause I actually just, uh, had a conversation with him on zoom last week about it. And, uh, he, he was like, he like cut me off and said it wasn't cheesy. And he, but he was like, no, I'm, I'm very familiar with the, with the long song titles. Yeah. And I think most people who are going to read this book will be familiar with those bands and those long song titles. So it's something that certainly makes sense. And then you could also just call it rock bottom at the Renaissance. You don't have to add the subtitle every time you mention it either. And what I enjoyed about this book is how absolutely raw it is. You did not pull any punches whatsoever, aside from, you know, leaving out people's names, if either you didn't want to mention their names, or they didn't want their names mentioned. For sure. I definitely didn't check with anybody about whether or not they wanted their names mentioned or cared if they were included in this. But, uh, I def I changed, yeah, I changed names and changed details about them. So like, you know, maybe five people in our friend circle from 10 years ago might put it together, but it's not anything that's going to like publicly embarrass anybody but me. <laughs> and I don't think it's necessarily important for the reader to have that, information because you get the gist of it as you're telling this story you understand how you know you were calling yourself a hopeless romantic and that really comes through in the book and then you have you know all of the xanax and adderall usage so when you were writing the book start to finish was this something where you had kind of journaled some of these moments? Because when I was reading it, I was like, wow, I'm amazed he actually remembers some of these nights. Yeah. So you're holding the journal. Like I wrote most of this that weekend in the hotel. So like anything you read in that book that takes place in present day of the book, because like for those who haven't seen it or read it, basically like every other chapter is present day. And then the other chapters are flashbacks to previous 
romances, air quotes, when I felt like I fell in love in New York as this hopeless romantic who's like been brainwashed by this New York romance that we see in movies and TV shows and books and songs. So like, basically the book is about that. Like in present day, I'm dealing with one of those romances that almost killed me from, you know, having major depressive disorder and anxiety disorder. It just blows those things up. Like, you know, this was years ago. So fortunately now I'm, you know, done the work to be more mentally healthy and I can look back on it and think of and see how like trivial those things are. But in the moment, and you don't even have to have mental illness to feel that way. Plenty of people, you know, after a breakup or dealing with, you know, a hard relationship, plenty of people feel that it is life or death. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, those are the the feelings that we look for, you know, strong, like you want to love somebody so much that you feel like, you know, it's going to kill you if you lose them, but it's good to know that it won't kill you and it shouldn't kill you. Um, and so that weekend, yeah, like at least half the book, a little bit more was written in over that weekend. And then, you know, the flashbacks, some of them were written then too, but yeah, I just, I eventually went back to finish it because after that weekend, I just felt too, it was such a dark period of my life that I didn't want to go back to it. And so I didn't touch the book for like a year. And then when I decided to go back to it, you know, it was really just to like touch up those flashbacks, you know, add some more into there about, you know, other experiences where I was feeling the same thing. So, yeah, I mean, it, it pretty much was a journal, but yeah, you're holding, you're holding the journal. Like, um, and then all the other things, like I just have a weird memory. I have a good memory for that kind of stuff. I have a horrible memory for anything else like yeah short-term memory sucks and i'm very bad at remembering important things it's truly amazing what people's minds will decide is an important memory for them to sort of keep in that memory bank in their head because i'll remember some of the most random things from when i was a kid that had absolutely no consequence to them whatsoever it's just like oh yeah i remember the color of the carpet at this one person's house and i had only been there a couple times and it's super super random and obviously for you these moments were more intensely personal and did have consequences for the most part and i think what's interesting about this too is the fact that you were able to keep all of those memories intact despite all of the crazy nights you seem to have. Because for a lot of people, if they wake up the next morning, they might not remember the night before if they had done some of the things you had done. For sure. And no, and I actually, it's funny you say that because like at least twice in the book, I mean, it's kind of like in the same chapter or it's like a callback, but I say something like, it's crazy what your brain decides to remember. Yeah. There's a chapter where I'm talking about this night at CMJ Music Marathon in New York City. And when the girl came out, like the main girl I'm talking about in the book came out to meet me. And I remember so many details of that night so clearly. And, but then there's a point in the story where like, we're going, we're getting towards the end of the night. And I remember every detail from a conversation she and I had, but I, don't remember what bar we were at 
or how we got to that bar when every other part of that night, I remember, I remembered every single bar we were at. I remembered like the bands that played the songs we listened to. Uh, I remember so many details from that night, but then there's just this like gap in it and it's so weird. But then there's also this like sad part of it that I wish I didn't remember because it, you know, back then it was super hurtful. But yet my mind decided to hold on to that, but not remember like more good stuff from that night, you know? Right. Yeah, it's crazy. Hey, real quick, can I, I want to say something. So if if people, before people get bored of me, I I (laughs) promised that I told Gabriella to tell you that I was going to tell you why I was late today. We will get to that, but you have to remind me because I want to talk about the book, but there's some very cool things happening right now with it. And that's why I was late. But uh, I'm, I want to tell tell you all of those things. And so listeners can also like, it's something listeners will benefit from as well and people who read the book. So let's get to that later. And now people have to keep listening. Yeah, we will circle back to that. I think one of the things that I was wondering while I was reading this was how long was it from the idea inception to write this book until it was actually published? Because like you said, you did most of the writing in one weekend, but it sounds like this was something that you were sitting on for a bit. And then you said you returned to it like a year later. So what was the rough timeline that it took for this to come together in its entirety? So I finished writing it probably like six years ago. And, you know, over that time, I've changed some things, uh, changed a few little things in it. But it was important for me to keep it, to not like edit it that much because I wanted people to really get the the feeling of what I was feeling that when I wrote it, because um, that's the most important thing to me. Um, so, yeah, I probably finished it around like six years ago and for a long time, I didn't even, of course, I always wanted to release it, but there was a good couple of years where it just wasn't even on my mind because I wasn't strong enough to put that version of me out into the world. Like I hadn't been working on my you know, mental health issues. I was still very depressed and, you know, treating that with unhealthy ways rather than the healthy ways that I treat it now. And so I didn't want to put it out into the world because I still felt like that was me a little bit, you know, and I didn't want people to read it and be like, holy shit, like this, that's what Mike is. That's how Mike thinks or that's what Mike, you know, feels. And then probably like in, I want to say like 2015 or 16 or like 2016, I was reading it and it didn't even feel like me anymore. Like I was rereading it, you know, and one of those like, moments that randomly hit me. It was where I was like, look, you have this book that you want to put out. Let's look at it again and see if it's still something that is that important to you. And so I read it again and it didn't even feel like it was about me. It felt like I was reading a novel about these issues that I, I will always deal with for the rest of my life. Depression and anxiety don't go away. It's just, I now actively work on, you know, keeping them in check And, you know, sometimes that doesn't even help. Like there are still times where it hits me very hard, but I know now because I've worked on it that it's not going to kill me because I've come through it before. And so this time that I was reading it, I was just like reading it completely. I mean, as much as I possibly could, I was reading it um, 
objectively. Like it wasn't about me. And I, and the thought hit me that like, it's, it's really good. The book is really good in describing what depression and anxiety feels like um, in one way, because it's, it's different for everybody, but if you don't have depression or anxiety, but you have loved ones who do, if you read this book, I think I read it and I was like, I think people will feel like, holy shit, that's what my friend's going through. Like, I think it'll give people a better understanding of what depression and anxiety can be like. And I think it can give people with those who do struggle with that. And I, I mean, I've been told already by people that this has happened, but I feel like it'll show people that they're not alone. You know, when you're in that by yourself, like I was when I, you know, in the book, you feel so alone and you feel like there's no possible way anybody could ever understand. So like, what is there to live for, you know, but that's not the case. Like so many people deal with this stuff and like none of it's as bad as we think. And so, yeah, it just, it just like stood out to me that like, it could be something that would help people. And so probably about three years ago, I started kind of trying to figure things out on how to get it out into the world. And yeah, I, I was ready to get it out last year, but a number of things needed to come into place. Like it's so important to me that this book gets in front of the people that it will help. You know, um, I'm not getting rich off of it. I'm donating half the money to charity, but even if I wasn't, I wouldn't be getting rich off of it. Um, so like the most important thing to me is that it gets in front of people who will take that away, you know, who will, who will see that they're not alone. And I knew I would need help with that. So, you know, I, I have been doing music journalism for like 15 years. And so I have a lot of music publicist friends that I've known for a really long time and who know I'm a good writer and who know, you know, what I stand for and that mental health issues have, have been a very important thing to me for a long time. And so I just wanted to make sure I got together with the right team to do that. And I also have like, I've been working in like digital production and marketing for so long that I have, I'm a bit brainwashed in like, you can't just put something out. You got to have a strategy. And so, you know, I overthink things. Definitely. That's 90% of why it took me so long to put it out. I overthink things. Um, but man, since I put it out in June, it got re officially released in June and it's been so great. Like not just cause you know, people are telling me that it's good or that they like it, but it's been relieving to like, I still need to feel like I'm not alone in my depression and anxiety. And so to know, like, to know that I feared, like feared for years that people were going to judge me or people, you know, were going to see this scary side of me that I'm not super proud of. Um, I feared that for years, man. And now like, since it came out, I've, I got like relief. Like so many people have, you know, given me that feeling even more that I'm not alone and they're getting the feeling from the book. So, I mean, I'm glad I finally did put it out and, um, and I don't like regret waiting for it. You know, I believe that everything happens in its time and definitely is everything's working out in a really cool way right now. So I, I, I think, you know, it, it came out when it was supposed to. Yeah, I was going to say mental health is something that's being talked about more and more now. And especially with the book coming out during quarantine, when people might not be doing as well as they were hoping, just because of the state of the world right now, you have 
so many things going on aside from COVID too, that it really feels like this is a book that can make other people feel like they aren't alone as well. And it had that same effect on you, clearly. So it really feels like it was sort of the perfect time for this to come out for you and for anyone who might be going through some similar things. Yeah, you know, and then and and that's the thing too, with with a lot of the things going on in our country right now, like I'm I'm not gonna get political. I wasn't gonna say in the world, but a lot worse things are happening in our country right now than in the world. Um, so just a lot of things that we're dealing with right now, a lot of people who've never felt this before are feeling it now, you know? And so like, I mean, for me, like I said earlier, I, I've been fortunate enough to like, you know, have a good therapist right now, be on the right medication and kind of have that stuff as under control as somebody can. And so like, I've been feeling better. And for me, when like COVID and quarantine started happening, it like opened things up for me to like, you know, a lot of bigger traditional publishers and just traditional media companies didn't really know what to do. And like, we see that with like record labels and stuff like that, but I've always been like a DIY punk kid. And so I know how to, how to work without a system, you know? And so when I saw that like, oh, now bands aren't putting out records, now publishers aren't putting out books, like this is a time where this can, you know, stand out a little bit. But also, you know, I got to work with big picture media and, um, you know, bands aren't doing tours right now. And, you know, unfortunately, because like, that's what keeps me alive too. But there's a lot less to compete with right now in the music world. And this book is definitely a, I didn't want to work with a pub with a PR company that does books because this is a music book. Like it's for music fans. It's for emo and the pop punk world. And I wanted to work with people who knew how to get this in front of that world. And once like this whole quarantine started happening, it just kind of freed some things up and, and helps that happen. And so like, I wish, I mean, I, I'm not at all going to say that it, it came out because I knew people were going to need it more right now, but thank God it came out, you know, because it came out in like June, but I was working on the release since March and that's when quarantine started in New York. And so like, it's very coincidental, but it's also, like I said, like I know everything happens in its time that it's supposed to happen. And I think that's just what happened. Like now here's this book where literally in this book, I'm quarantined in a hotel room like on my own dealing with my fucked up head and like drinking and abusing pills and doing all the, like handling a self quarantine in the worst way you can. And that's like half of this book. Like none of us knew in March or even June that this was going to be like, we still don't know how long this is going to be, you know? And so it's just so crazy that like, that's the well, that's the kind of thing that makes me believe that things happen when they're supposed to happen. Yeah, and I do want to talk about the musical aspect of the book because each chapter is basically a different song that is associated with these memories with your present self when you were writing it and you have bands like Jimmy Eat World, Bayside, bands that a lot of people in this 
music scene really, really love. And it's always interesting to see how different people interpret song lyrics, because obviously the artists write them with a specific person or thing in mind, and then the audience all interprets them a different way. So to get your specific interpretation of what these songs meant to you at these moments in time was really neat, because it's not like you were writing specifically about the music. You were using the music to understand how you felt. Exactly. Like, but yeah, I explain it like it's it's basically... Uh, I mean, I call it a mixtape memoir, and it, and I say that, like the music is like the soundtrack for it. So it's just like when you're reading it. For those who don't know, um, in between paragraphs, occasionally lyrics will pop up. So it's like if you're watching a TV show or a movie, and like in this moment, you know, the song of you know, the soundtrack like swells up, and you just hear the song play over the scene. That's what I was going for in the book. I'm actually in the process of producing the audiobook right now which is going to have, I'm licensing the music so I can put the songs in there so the songs will actually do that in the audiobook. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of them, like when you read the first chapter of the book, which is every chapter is named after a song and the artist. And so the first chapter is 23 by Jimmy Eat World. When you read that chapter, you'll see why it's called 23. Like in the scene of the book, which actually happened in my life, Jimmy Orl's 23 came on, you know, my shuffle while this particular thing was happening. And so that's how the book started. Like that, I wasn't trying to set out. I like, I didn't have this plan to, to make every chapter like that. But once I got to that hotel and started writing, I, I knew I wanted to write about this moment that happened and Jimmy world was playing while it happened. And so that chapter just had Jimmy world in it. But then, like, the next chapter is um, Bayside, and then the next one is Dangerous Summer. And those are bands, those three bands are probably the bands that I listen to the most. Bayside is the band that I've seen live more than any other band. The Dangerous Summer is always, like, my most listened to band on Spotify every year. They're, like, my favorite band. And then Jimmy Eat World Futures is, like, one of my favorite albums ever. So those songs are always playing in my background and so like while the jimmy world song actually like happened in the scene those other songs aren't talked about in that way but they were playing in the hotel room while i was feeling alone and depressed and writing and drinking scotch and popping adderall so i could keep writing and taking xanax when the adderall got you know too much for me and so like those songs were on when that was happening. And then there's chapters like the Tudor Cinema Club chapter, which has a lot to do with Tudor Cinema Club. And so like, yeah, I mean, I I didn't set out for that format. It just kind of like happened the same way. Like I didn't set out to write this book. This book just happened that weekend, you know. Would you say it was sort of a coping mechanism for you to write this all in one weekend? Or was it something that you just felt like you had to do and you had to kind of do it in this semi-destructive way in order to just get it out there. I mean, I, I honestly wish I could say I was in control enough of my actions or my mental capacity, but I wasn't. And I mean, I think you, like that's pretty clear in the book that I, and I, I even mentioned too that like, 
I don't believe, you know, so many people say that like all these, like glorify these artists who did drugs and who were alcoholics like Bukowski, you know, and like people glorify that. And I definitely don't want to glorify that because I almost died from it happening multiple times in my life. And I write about those times in the book. Anytime I ever did that was not because some artist I love did it. It was because I was, I didn't want to feel what I was feeling. And I even considered that I might die, but it was just, I was fucked up enough to not care, you know? And thank God I didn't, not for any reason to do with this book, but because I'm alive and, you know, I'm happily married to an amazing woman and, you know, am living in New York. Like I'm still like living that dream that I was chasing in that horrible time in the book. It's, and all I had to do was just stay alive, you know? Like the only way you know you won't achieve your dreams is if you die. And so thank God I'm still alive, which is also going to play a big part in the thing I'm going to tell you about later of why I was late. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't want to glorify that stuff at all. And I had no control over what I was doing that weekend. And I, and so like I did, you know, when I came back to finish the book, I had a little more control over it, but also I didn't want to, you know, change things from the book that I was ashamed of. And I want to, you know, I had to keep the voice of that book because it's a, it's a memoir. It's not an autobiography. It's a memoir. And that just is about a specific time in my life. And so I wanted to keep that feeling and that headspace as accurate as possible um, about that time in my life. And, and I did, I mean, it's, it's still, and there are still things that I'm, you know, I, I hope my in-laws don't read it cause I love them and they are amazing people. But, um, but like there are people I care about in my life that it's embarrassing for this to be in front of, but I'm not going to change it, you know, because I, that would be a disservice to anybody dealing with this stuff. Like I want you to know that no matter how ashamed you are of mistakes you've made in your past, who cares? Like it's your past. You can do so many more cool things and make up for it in the future. But, you know, you don't have to erase it. It doesn't matter. Like, just make your present and your future better. And for anyone who hasn't read the book yet, you by no means glorify anything that you have done. It's just a very matter of fact thing that you're putting out there for anyone who might be feeling the same way. And I think what's even better is the fact that you've managed to turn things around. Like you said, you're happily married, you're still living the dream that you were chasing in those moments. And you were able to stay alive to see that happen. So this could inspire someone else to get whatever help they need in order to make that same kind of change. Yeah. And I want to make it very clear that I am not in a better headspace because I found my wife or because I am, you know, achieving these cool things like writing this book and talking to a lot of the bands that I've, you know, who are my heroes. I am not in a better headspace because of those things. Those things are happening because I'm in a better headspace. Right. Once I got, you know, serious about really taking care of my mental health, that's what made me the kind of person who can be a good husband, you know, and that's, why I have an amazing wife. Like if I wasn't a good husband, she like, 
she would not put up with my shit. <laughs> um, and so, um, and if I were still a shitty dude who, you know, was not trying to make good things happen in the world, these, these guys in these bands that I, I write about, they're all married with kids and families and nice houses now. Like they don't want to deal with some, like the guy in the book. Like if I were that guy, there's no way that like I'd be able to, you know, get them involved with this or get their, you know, response or any support out of it. You know, like I am not feeling better because of those things. Those things are happening because I got my shit together and made my mental health important and I, I work on my mental health just like a bodybuilder works on their muscles, you know? Absolutely. And you never once really put the blame on anyone else because you were very aware of why you were feeling the way you were feeling. And that really came through in the book, too. Obviously, there were some things that happened and you were like, oh, okay, she this girl decided to do this and that's why I feel this way. But it never really felt like you weren't owning up to anything that would have been your mistake. Oh, for sure. And I, and even in that, like I, it was important to me and this is obviously like an afterthought because, you know, though that weekend in the hotel room, I was definitely, you know, feeling sorry for myself and thinking like I, it couldn't possibly, like what did I do to deserve any of this? But you know, in, in like an afterthought there, there is like one chap, one chapter where I talk about a past relationship where, you know, the girl kind of looks bad, but at, in the end, I say like, I don't blame her for it because she was young, you know, she was 24 and I was like 29, 28 or 29 at the time. But I did, I mean, everybody still does shitty things every now and then. And we, we hurt people accidentally. And sometimes we're more selfish than we want to be accidentally, hopefully. Um, and so like, even the person who like looks the worst in it, I think, uh, I still like excuse her behavior by saying like, you know what? I did a lot of shitty things to people too when I was 24. So like, I don't hold it against her. So I, I really did try to like, you know, the person in present day of the book, of course, like had a little bitterness to all that stuff. But I think it's pretty clear in the book that like, we all make mistakes, man. And, and I don't know, I want to be forgiven for my mistakes, as long as I earn that forgiveness, and show that I'm trying to be a better person. So like, why shouldn't other people be even if they hurt you, you know? Exactly. And I think with the music too, you get a sense that sometimes when you're listening to songs, someone who is writing them is putting all the blame on someone else. But the lyrics that you picked really felt like everything was directed at yourself rather than outward towards everyone else necessarily. So that worked really well. And I imagine the audiobook is going to sound great when you can hear those lyrics being sung and it just blends in with the reading of the book, but is there anything else you want to touch on about the book before we dive into today's delay? Like I said, the most important thing for me with this book is that it gets in front of the people who, who need it. And, um, you know, 
anybody can find me on social media. Um, my, and I know this normally comes later, but I want to say it now, but like, you know, my production company is called Burger Media, but you can find me at a burger joint, A-B-E-R-G-E-R-J-O-I-N-T on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. And, you know, there aren't a lot of Mike Henneburgers out there. So like, look, I don't need people to buy the book. I, it's important for me that it just gets in front of the people who, who need it. And so like, hit me up on social media. Like I, I've sent copies to people for free over these last past months because people were posting like, as soon as I get my unemployment check, I'm going to buy this. Don't, don't use your unemployment to buy this book. I'll send one to you for free. Like, I mean, I don't have a ton of them and I'm not going to order a ton of them, but I have some. And, you know, I, I want people to, to, you know, know that that's what this is all about. It's about, you know, bringing people together in this time where we can't get together and go to shows. Um, where this book is a way to like for us to bond over that music when we can't go to shows. And it's a way to show that you're not alone when all of us are alone right now. <laughs> like we can't go anywhere and be with anybody. Um, so that's the most important thing to me. Um, so yeah, just find me on social media and, and reach out if you need, if you need to, but also that if you can buy the book, please buy it because 50% of the, the royalties, which is the only money I get from it goes to charity and September and October, it's going to the continuance foundation, which is a charity that, um, offers, that provides, uh, mental health services for full-time touring and um, studio musicians. So like they may not have health insurance or may not know how to get a therapist and this organization helps them with that. So September and October royalties are going to them and uh, Hope for the Day, which is an organization that helps with suicide prevention and helps amplify the conversation about mental illness and suicide because that's exactly what I'm doing with this book. I like. I don't want anybody to feel ashamed about what they're dealing with. Like that's what kills us when we keep it to ourselves. That's what kills us. So don't be ashamed to talk about it. I put this thing out into the world and um, it's made me feel so much better. Like so much relief has come from it. So I just wanted to say that like, if you can afford to buy it, buy it because these charities, you know, they're doing great things, but if you can't hit me up and I'll, I'll send you a digital copy. I'll send you a real copy, whatever. I'll be sure I link to all of that stuff in the show notes, too, for anyone who is interested, including the charities, in case anyone wants to make their own contributions to them. And Mike, we've hit the end of the podcast. So you had Gabriella email me and be like, hey, can we push it an hour, an hour and a half? He's out doing some stuff. So explain to the listeners what you were doing and why we pushed this recording a little today. Yeah. Did she tell you any of it at all? She gave me broad strokes. Okay. So, like I said, I'm producing the audiobook right now. Hope I really want to get it out before the end of this month. I'm not sure if that's going to happen because I'm still working on licensing the music. Um, and I got a few bands left. So far, The Dangerous Summer has approved all of their songs and Hopeless Records has approved all of their songs. Um Hopeless Records has also allowed me to use the Wonder Years song that's in there. The Wonder Years management's approved it. I'm working, I'm waiting for publishers to approve it. Let's see. I've also got Mayday Parade approved. Basically, I'm just waiting for like Jimmy Eat World's publishers. Their management has been cool and approved. Um, 
and uh, Bayside is all approved. Um, so yeah, so all this music's coming together. Um, and so what I really want to do, what I'm planning on doing is um, having this auction. When the audiobook drops, I'm going to do an auction online um, and I'm going to give away or auction off a bunch of, I have these limited edition posters that I made for the book and I have a bunch of copies of the book that I've been getting signed by the bands who are mentioned in the book. And so I'm going to, I'm going to auction some of those off, but I'm also going to raffle them off because I want people who like don't have a hundred dollars or $50 to have as much of a chance as anyone else. And so I'm going to raffle some of them off too. So, you know, if you have a buck, if you have five bucks, um, you know, you can be a part of it, but I've been going around the country and getting these things signed by people. So I went to LA a couple weeks ago. And um, so Tyler Posey is recording the audiobook. He is, do you know who he is? Yeah. Okay. So for those who don't know who he is, he is an actor who was Teen Wolf on MTV's Teen Wolf um, on a hundred episodes of MTV's Teen Wolf, which was very impressive to me. I was not aware of that, but um, he's also like a, a, awesome musician and singer and guitarist and uh, plays in a band called five North. Um, but he's an amazing dude and he's recording the audiobook, And so that it's actually already all recorded. Um, and so that's going to drop soon, but I went out to LA and, you know, shot some videos with him. And while I was out there, I got Nick and Chris from Bayside because they live out in Orange County to sign the books and sign the posters and Tyler has signed the books and the posters. And then I embarked on this journey from New York uh, on Sunday, which was, I don't even know what day it is right now. Three days ago, maybe it's Wednesday. So yeah, three days ago. And I drove to Pittsburgh where Josh from the Juliana theory met me at a gas station and signed all these posters and signed all these books and then I drove to Nashville because I already had Nick and Chris from Bayside and I knew that Jack and Anthony from Bayside lived here. And I've talked to those guys a bunch. They all have, a, they've all had copies of the book for a while. So I drove down here and I got to meet with Jack um, and get his books and get books and posters signed by him a couple of days ago. And then today I so I was having like a hard time getting a hold of Anthony, but, uh, Chris Caraba from Dashboard Confessional, he and I had been talking about the book. And like I said, I had a Zoom meeting with him or a conversation with him last week. And I was driving out to his place to get those posters and books signed by him. And 10 minutes before I got to his place, I got a text message from Anthony from Bayside. And he said he would be home for the next two hours. And so he lives kind of around Chris, um, south of Nashville. And so that's when I texted Gabriella and I was like, I've been, I've been here for like two days and I've been trying to like get these things set up, but there's no getting it set up. You know, it's, there's just like, if, if they want to do it, if they can do it, you got to like do it when they can do it. And so like Anthony texted me and I mean, first of all, I thought we were doing this at 12 central, not 12 Eastern, which is my, okay. but I like scheduled to meet Chris at, 12 Eastern. So once I saw that, I told Gabriella, I was like, oh man, I'm on my way out to meet Chris, but I also just got a text message from Anthony. So I have to go see Anthony right away after Chris. So 
that's why I was late to this podcast because I was driving around Nashville after I've put 1100 miles on a rental car um, over three days, just taking this stuff around this part of the country to get signed. And I'm driving to Richmond, Virginia after this to get um, the posters and books signed by the dangerous summer. And then I go home to New York. So all of these things are going to be available to people. Um, and this auction is going to benefit those charities I mentioned. Um, you know, it's all to raise money for them. So once this audiobook drops, you know, everything's signed by all those guys and Tyler, I'm going to try to get it signed by a few more bands that are involved and in, that are mentioned in the book. None of them are officially involved, but like AJ from the dangerous summer has been super supportive. A lot of these guys have been very supportive and Jack from Bayside has shared posts on Instagram and Josh from Juliana theory has shared posts. Um, so I've gotten a lot of support, but the whole thing is, is that, this book is about what this, I mean, a, a big part of it is how this music kept me alive. And that's all I want to get across to people. And so it means so much to me to like have the band's signatures on it, you know, because there, I wouldn't be here and this book wouldn't exist if Anthony and Bayside hadn't written songs 15 years ago that were as dark as this book is or darker, you know? And I saw back then that, you know, Anthony struggled with stuff, at least in the, in the songs and turned it into songs. And AJ from the dangerous summer, like his early records are dark and can be, you know, the lyrics can be depressing. Um, and that music got me through a lot. And so it's, it was important to me to show those guys, this book, so they know what I'm doing, but also, you know, to show that like, it's just, it's just passing on that spirit of what this music community is, you know, like we're all looking out for each other and, and yeah. So, um, I got to talk to Chris today for a little bit and I got to talk to Anthony today for a little bit and get them to sign a bunch of stuff. And so if people go, you know, follow those social media things, they'll, can get they can get more information on you know when that auction's going to happen and when that raffle's going to happen so you can get your chance to win a book autographed by all those people and or win a poster autographed by all those people i also got a bunch of koozies signed by um and um matt matt hoops from reliant k met up with me yesterday to sign some stuff because i mentioned reliant k in there too so it, it just means the world to me that these bands know what they did for me and that i'm trying to pay it forward, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm taking what they did for me. And I like showing people that like, it didn't stop at me. Like, that's what I love so much about this is that it's not stopping at me. And then hopefully who I pass it along to, they're going to pay it. They're going to push it forward. It's not going to stop at them. Like I get to be part of the cycle now that just moves this whole thing that can save people's lives. You know, I'm not saying my book can save their lives, but this whole spirit of our punk and emo community is saving lives. And that only happens by people making albums and then that music just being interpreted out into the world. 
Yeah, well, I'm certainly glad you were able to finally release this book and that it's getting so much support from the bands. And I'm also glad that you got to see Chris and Anthony today, and I did not stand in the way of that. So, you know, I know that sometimes when you're out and about and doing things, you can lose track of time. And, you know, with this podcast, I try to work around the guest schedule. So I totally get what you mean by, you know, when these people are available, you just make the time. So thank you for sticking around. And Mike, it's been great chatting with you. Cool. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, it's been great chatting with you too. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. You can sign up for a dollar a month. That'll get you a thank you on the show. $2 a month, you get to pick a topic that myself and a guest will discuss on the show. For $5 a month, you can join the Welcome to Geekdom Slack group, where you can talk to myself and various guests who have been on the show. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at GeekdomPod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.